Hello and welcome to the podcast. I feel like we should have claymation puppets dancing behind us. Dude, man, it's Island Misfit Toys, dude. Yeah, it is like that. Hey, welcome everybody. This is the Word on the Hill podcast. I am just barely Scott Powell. Yeah, dude. Man, I, I lost my voice, and I'm trying to rally you guys as hard as I can. So by the time this podcast is ended, it's going to be blown out completely. Hey, you know what you can do? What can I do? You have can, tea? Have tea? You can hate t- tea. Talk quieter. Oh, sorry. You can. I, I don't know if I can. Dude, it's a whisper. I go into teaching mode, and I can't bring the volume down. I don't know how to. I'm not Jay Reyes. I can't <laughs> actually be mellow. I'll be mellow when I'm dead. I'll be mellow when I'm dead. I'll be mellow when I'm dead. Is that actually a song? Yeah, yeah, dude. That's like off of the self-titled album of Weird Al Yankovic, dude. Oh, nice. I mean, come on, Weird Al, dude. Let's let's Weird give Al. let's give a brother some props. Well, y'all, it is and nice. You to are ha- you are who? Who are you? Oh, oh, um, I am the uh, I am the one. Shouldn't be that hard. I'm the one who knows things. All right. And together, <laughs> we're the lanky guys. The, so I, welcome. Uh, okay, I'm Father Peter Moss. Oh, yes, so you are. Um, and I'm very excited that you guys are joining us. You know what I'm so thankful for is that people actually listen to us. As far as we know. <laughs> or that's what they tell us. Or that's what they tell us. Although we have an awful lot of people who come up to us and they're like, we love the podcast. I haven't listened in a while, but I, I usually love it. <laughs> I haven't heard it in a few weeks. But. You know, it's... it's, it's so ex- I'm not convinced anybody actually <laughs> listens. You, so I looked up the definition of compunction yesterday. <laughs> okay. And compunction is the anxiety that arises from feelings of guilt. I thought compunction was when you had to do something or you were made to do that's something. That's compulsion. Oh. Compunction. Is Com- the guilt of not doing the something? anxiety that anxiety. you feel of pangs of guilt. I I feel I am I am built I am like a walking compunction. Then it's my yeah, Catholic yeah. Slavic upbringing. Yeah, I'm all guilt all the time. Yeah, yeah. But it's anxiety and guilt. It's the anxiety oh, geez, that arises. That is my from life. Guilt, which I think I'm that, getting anxious hearing you talk about it. You know, it's funny. Is that oh. so? I so I think people have compunction mm. when they speak to us when they were like, "Oh my gosh, I was not uh, yes. expecting to meet a, the lanky guy." Yeah, we've always we've all been in that situation though, where you you come to the person that you were supposed to do something for, you're supposed to email them back or whatever, and then you see them and you're like, "Oh, oh man. hey." It's you. <laughs> I've been meaning to text you. It's just the worst. Oh yeah, man. That's like that. that so I think compunction is the. Oh, compunction. I was trying to think of how we got there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Compunction. Compun- compunction. But that's how we think people come and they see and they're like, man, I haven't listened to Linky guys in a while. Now I'm meeting them because we kind of just show up randomly. We're kind of in people's lives. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. like when you're when you're at Denny's, you're never gonna know. We're gonna come sneaking yeah, like, over the booth. Hi, hey, hello, welcome to Denny's. <laughs> All, All right, right Father Peter. We're on, uh, it's going to be eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time. <clears throat> it is, and I don't, I, I didn't take any time to actually go back and look. I know three years ago, because I had to, well, I know three years ago there was no, we, we had Lent start really early. Okay. And it feels, and I could be totally wrong, because I'm, I'm just speaking off the cuff. It feels like Lent, <clears throat> pardon me, is starting relatively late this year. Is I that think true? Th- I think this is the latest that uh, we can possibly have Lent. Okay, that's how it feels, because, and I, I mean this with all respect to the Lord and the Holy Spirit and the church and her great wisdom, which <laughs> Whoa, I dude, which I is... give and, and offer my whole life to. It Quite does. Dado. It felt when on first glance of these readings, they're like, "Oh shoot, what can we what can we put for the eighth? We've never had an eighth Sunday before. What readings <laughs> can we throw together?" Well, and, nor- and normally because like, they're they're odd readings this week, a little bit, right? I was reading them and I was like, "Have we Where done did these this? Come from? No, I don't think we ever have." Because because I was looking at and it was it's pretty it's pretty. St- 
strange out. I mean, like a, a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, because normally, like, you know, how ordinary time has oh, like yeah. some gap weeks. <laughs> yes. Like, if you ever do the math, y'all, yeah. you'll realize that ordinary time it's does weird. not add up to thirty-three. As not, all I'm saying, not even by by a, a week shot. or two. It's very strange. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we are in the eighth Sunday of the time of ordination Correct. of ordinals. And because wait. Next week, this coming Tuesday is Mardi Gras, right? So it's Ash Wednesday. This well, whenever uh, I don't know when you're listening, uh, but next uh, week, yeah, yeah, right, is Ash Wednesday. The week after this eighth Sunday in Ordinary Time is Ash Wednesday. The week after the Wednesday after the eighth Sunday of Ordinary Time. Yeah, that's convoluted. It's also Saint Catherine Drexel. Who? <laughs> Saint Catherine Drexel. Drexel from Philadelphia. Was she yeah. the first? American. American saint canonized. Yep. yep. <clears throat> she's sweet. There's she's we, Drexel University is named after her. Right? We call her. We call America. Yeah, that's what we call her. What? We call that's it America. Call her. All right. Have we said the readings yet? First reading is Sirach, Sirach, <laughs> chapter twenty-seven. Thank you, Grandma. <laughs> Four through seven. Four through seven. All right. I was watching. Yeah. Never mind. <laughs> uh, respond. Our responsorial psalm is Psalm ninety-two verses. Oh, my voice really is struggling. Yeah, yeah, I don't okay. know how long we're going to make it. I don't either. Psalm we'll, we'll 92. Do it quick. I go, I'm cool. Psalm 92, verses 2 to 3, 13 through 14, and 15 through 16. Do you see how I'm trying to take the volume down a little bit? Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm doing my best. And our second reading <coughs> is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I can't do that. That'll hurt me. Yeah, that's. <coughs> well, then wow. we'll be on the same page. Yeah, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 to 58. The resurrection. And our gospel is coming from Luke chapter 6, verses 39 through 45. <laughs> Five. <laughs> okay, Sirach. Do you know how much yeah. I love Sirach? <clears throat> I literally don't. I love it a lot. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great talk. Yeah, an edifying spiritual yeah, yeah. conversation. Like, I feel like you've really elaborated yeah. into some details. No, All right. I, I just find it like what I like about it is, is it's simultaneously a tremendous amount of parabolic wisdom or parabola. It's like... Uh, it's like parables. You mean parabolic or parable? Because those are not the same. It's, it's a, a, a proverb for proverbial. Oh, proverbial. Well done. So I see what you're saying. I almost got to the right word. I get it now. I didn't understand. Yes. It's, it's no, a very, totally right. It's Absolutely. a very proverbial thing. But yeah. like, yeah, yeah. what I like it's is- It's actually a bunch of pep talks. To, with in, in with a lot these of ways. like horrible consequences yeah. afterwards. Yeah, that's true. Like, like he says <clears> stuff and he's like, he's like, hey, you know what? Like God is so good, but if you don't follow him, you're gonna burn in hell. <laughs> like you're like, oh, he, he doesn't actually say that, but yeah, yeah no, no, but, kind but of like it, it always feels like that. It's like you know, well, it's like it says, um, you know, as the test of what the potter molds in the furnace. So in the tribulation, it's the test of the just. You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Is- you're like, like it's these metaphors that <laughs> that end up like so intense. That, but but of course I like Dietrich von Hildebrand and he he kind of has some of the same vibe yeah where you're like ah reverence is allowing the space for being in itself and you're like oh cool and if you're a reverend you will not receive reality at all and you will suffer and perish in eternal you know and you're like oh no I hope that uh, people who are lecturing this weekend are hearing this and they're going to subconsciously do that when they're lecturing the reading they're when a sieve is shaken the husks appear. So do one's faults when one speaks. Like the two people on the the shoulders, like the angel and the devil on the <laughs> yeah. shoulder speaking. Yeah, yeah. That that the. But what I like about it is is it's this, it's these consequences that are like, I don't know. They're just clear. They're not. A, they're unabashed about what is really being said. It is unabashed partially because of the historical context of the book, which I think um, lends itself toward needing to be a bit unabashed. And so, um, here's what we know about Sirach. It, it's um, 
It was originally composed in Hebrew, and what we have was actually translated by Sirach's grandson, which is kind of cool because he introduces himself in the prologue of the book. Rarely in the Old Testament do we get like the, the, the editor actually saying, hey, this is who I am, and this is where this book came from, which is right. kind of cool. Um, but, but it's <coughs> – pardon me. Um, we can. It's dating was probably sometime in the the late one or early two hundreds BC, because there's some reference point. There's a reference point about who the high priesthood, uh, the priesthood of Simeon the second. Um, he's mentioned in, in Sirach fifty. It talks about the the thirty eighth year of Ptolemy, who was who was one of the kings at the time. And what this means is that um, it's probably being uh, composed in the time of the gr- the rule of the Greek Empire probably just before the Maccabean revolt, right? So that's the time frame. Otherwise, because it doesn't refer to Maccabees, and so chances are it would have. But what it's saying is, and if, if you read this, there, there's something really critical in what is said that kind of puts you back in the context and about what it's saying about the context. You actually mentioned th- there's no discernible structure to the book of Sirach. It's it's just right. literally a series of proverbs and pep talks and all these little things, it's, punctuated praises of wisdom and words of encouragement, right? It's like talking to your grandpa at it, the end of his of, life. He's just rattling off stuff. He's like, I'm going to tell you about the thing. <laughs> it's <laughs> true. That's it, which is fun because that's really what it is, and it is, and but but it's important because it's the context, the content um, needs to be understood by the context, which is this community of post-exilic Jewish people, post-exile Jews, who are, <coughs> excuse me, trying to live out the reality of how do you live the Torah, how do you live the life of God without the life that we used to have. So Jerusalem is gone. Well, Jerusalem has been rebuilt, but you know the temple structure is gone, the liturgy is gone. We've lost all the trappings of these things. We don't have the worldview that we used to. And, and I, th- I think there's lots of resonance, w- resonant resonance with our modern world in that you can look I back. <laughs> very good resonance. Yeah. But you could look back at a, you know the, the the quote unquote bygone days of you know the United States where where the nuclear family was 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 held in high esteem and everyone went to church on Sunday and like there was a particular worldview that everybody had we had sort of this Judeo Christian worldview in our culture that we just don't have anymore and so now basically it's much harder to maintain a Christian worldview where the rest of the world actually doesn't agree with us and right. doesn't have that so it speaks of this time when the the law of the Lord sort of permeated all of culture. <clears throat> and now we don't have those things. But we do have the Torah. And so if we want wisdom, it's not quite as readily available as it used to be. Now where do we look for wisdom? We look to creation because God never changes. Right. And we look to the Torah because we don't have the same kind of priesthood that we used to look to. We don't have the same liturgies or temple or all of these things that we had. We have to work a little bit harder to find God. And so we there is a skill. It talks about this concept of chokmah, the skill of wisdom. Wisdom is something you have to work for and you have to find God. And you have to seek out his wisdom in the Torah, seek out his wisdom in creation. And so this book, in a lot of ways is a series of pep talks in how to do that. Mm. Here's how to find God where God is not quite as readily visible as we felt that he once was. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. The the <coughs> I think it's the Excuse 34th me. chapter. The, the way I was introduced to this book is I was doing uh, word searches in a concordance, okay. looking for the things that I enjoyed well, that's doing. That's the chapter about liturgical piety, Oh, in fact. Oh, and uh, well, uh, maybe it's 35. That is the chapter about... Scholarship? Whole Foods... Prices. No, I don't. I don't. I, don't, uh, I just happen to have a note about that. Oh, nice. Well, what happened is that um, is that uh, 
I looked up metalsmithing, and okay. so there's a there's a there's a, a proverb about a metalsmith okay. who sits at the anvil working, and the potter is that who in sits Syrac? at the kiln, yeah, oh. and they, and they sit at the kiln and they do all these things, and they're totally obsessed with finishing the details, and they stay up late at night, but governors and culture don't actually look to them for oh. um, things, but only the one who seeks wisdom. Oh, and so, oh that's so, good. so so is this really important like juncture in my life to be able to look at Syrac? Hmm. And to say like, okay, I really like doing these things, but it was yeah. this call to seek wisdom. Yes. For me directly, like literally Sirach said, you know what? Yes, you can make amazing jewelry and do amazing pottery and sculpture, mm. but the but but the world actually needs you to be able to seek wisdom. Then I got back all of those other things after having sought wisdom. Oh, interesting. And and so so like so like I have a special resonance because I because I have yeah. actually uh, like had this book change my life because wow. I, I used it to say I can trust God into going into seminary. Wow. And not have to just rely upon my own skills. And That's so pretty cool. So when I so when I when I well, read yes your Sarah, skill but the skill set changed. Right. The skill became the skill of seeking true wisdom. Right. And I like that that's actually how Sirach talks about it because for somebody like you, that that works. I was pursuing one skill. Right. But in order to do that rightly, I had to pursue a different skill, which was the search for God's wisdom. Correct. Which is not just, and I mean, Sirach's point is that it doesn't just flow it out of the sky. You actually have to seek it out right. and learn the skill to discern these things, which is not easily done. Right. Um, I actually want to, it's so short, I just want to read it because there's a couple things that jump out at me. Dig it. Um, and you already read part of it in your in your Darth Vader voice. But it says, when a sieve <laughs> is shaken, the husks appear, so everyone's faults when one speaks. So really this reading is all about speaking, which I find fascinating because although there is a long- Because you're losing your voice. Well, yes, that's true too. I didn't think about that. I am losing my voice. But although there's this long tradition of the wisdom literature in Judaism- I mean, from a from a kind of outside point of view, when you hear the the ideas of wisdom and speech, I think of the Greeks almost first and foremost. I mean, the Greeks were the ones who championed the idea of rhetoric and wisdom and philosophy. You know, Plato and Socrates and Aristotle and all these guys who were not too far away from the time of this. Which, in a lot of ways, this was again, you know, the the the, the time of Aristotle and Plato. I mean, there was some some profound good and seeking of real human wisdom, but in a lot of other ways, the Greek Empire was sort of um, um, an enemy of the people of God and they had oppressed them and they're, you know, it kind of ebbed back and forth. But when you're reading this, you know, so do one's faults when one speaks. Well, who is super into speaking and looking really good or trying to make it look like they look really good? Well, the Greeks, that was their bread and butter. Rhetoric, speech, looking like we can present ourselves in this profound way. Whether we actually have real wisdom or not, mm. there is a skill that the Greeks kind of championed of the idea of rhetoric, which was sounding really good, even if we don't know what we're talking about. Right. The Greeks didn't say it that way, but right. it is sort of something that we've uh, inherited from them, which is, I think, become this huge value in our culture. I mean, think of the, the news and all the news cycle and all the talking heads that are just doing nothing but trying to shut the other guy up or or sound like they know what they're talking about when they really don't. I mean, we, we, we uh, yeah. So anyway, let, let's keep reading. So do one's faults when one speaks. As the test of what the potter molds in the, is in the furnace, so in tribulation is the test of the just. It's only in suffering does the true test of what you really are about come out. Uh, the fruit of the tree shows the carrots had. So too does one's speech disclose the bent of one's mind. Praise no one before he speaks, for it is then that people are tested. Right. Don't just trust somebody because they look the part. It's only really in suffering. It's only 
in you know finding out what is the lifeblood of the tree and bearing its fruit, that's where the true nature of the thing comes out. And so if these Jewish people have been suffering profoundly for so long at the hands of these very well-spoken people, that's not necessarily, the victor is not necessarily who you think they are. Mm. There's a deeper wisdom than the wisdom the world offers, right? That's it, the heart of the message. It's, it's like you can have slick words. Yes. I mean, because how many times, what does the psalm say? His, his words were soft as butter, but they were naked swords. You've used the softest butter twice metaphor today. a couple times. Today. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was. Does the, the psalm really say that? I don't remember the. It butter, really does. The butter psalm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, it is funny. This morning, my prayer. I had to talk to the Lord. I've been doing aquarium stuff, so I had to talk to the Lord. But I, so I had to do it in an island accent. So I like literally. Oh, I just like because of the aquarium gave yeah like poetry Good prose stuff because I had to talk to the Lord. Good for you. It was it was a very strange experience, but. Yeah. Um, but I was just thinking about that because like your words reveal like who you are yeah, and true. like there's things that kind of bubble up inside of us and the fruit of them is, is yes, you can say things, but unless the spirit is right, mm, yeah. then you can say one thing many, many different ways. Yes. And this is what's hard is that, is that how we are inside will be expressed in the words that come out of us. That's what it's saying. I mean, that, yeah, that's right. it. That's exactly it. And <clears throat> eventually, but, one way or the other. Right. And in this case, through suffering, through tribulation. Right. And like, and, and <clears throat> but I think that's like such an important lesson for us. But it also is saying you can fake it for a long time. That's what I'm saying is yeah, you yeah, can yeah. have a bunch of skill. Yes. But, but the, the reality is, is that the spirit is actually what matters. Right. Even if you have a bunch of skill in those, these words, because right. you, you pay attention and like, I, I end up around people who are sensitive to the spirit behind words. Yeah. You're one of those people <laughs> in a big way. Yeah. Like, you, you know, you, you know, what's being said. Right. And, and we're, we're really curious to, we want to be able to experience what's behind that. And mm. I think it's funny that everybody has to listen to our words. I know you're stuck that, with us. That you guys have to listen to us. Every oh, word that I say. <laughs> <laughs> which is I Lord don't help know them the, all. Uh, Lord you guys are you guys are wonderful sticking with us so that leads us into the psalm it does lead it it does it does lead us into the psalm it does psalm, lead us into the psalm um here's here I have some interesting thoughts on the psalm so take it for what you will I'll take it for what I will the title of this psalm which comes toward the very beginning of the fourth book of the Psalter so remember the, the Psalter all the psalms together <coughs> excuse me are arranged in terms of four books. Right. right? They, and they're peppered throughout. Yeah, they are. But it, it's just basically telling the story of salvation history. Um, so the first two books are about the royal rule when, when the kingdom of Israel was thriving. And then book three is all the sorrow of the exile. And then book four is really about, okay, the exile has come. God is still there, but he's a little bit harder to see now. How do we make sense of the world now that we've experienced tribulation and suffering and we're trying to see him, but we have a little less clarity. And that's actually where this psalm sort of appears. So it, in the, the scheme of salvation history, it fits with the time frame of Sirach. But the psalm itself, so that's how the psalms are arranged. It doesn't mean they were all written during those times, right? So Psalm 92, the title for it is called uh, A Psalm for the Sabbath Day. It was a psalm to be read on the Sabbath. And historically, this was a psalm that was to be read at the beginning of the Sabbath day when the animals were going to be sacrificed for the morning sacrifice. Mm. So as the priests were, you know, pouring the, the drink offering and the cereal offering and sacrificing these animals, they were saying these words, Oh Lord, it is good to give thanks to you. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing your praise, sing praise to your name, most high, your faithfulness, your kindness at dawn as we begin this day, as we offer this sacrifice. 
But then at one point, obviously, the temple liturgy disappears and it goes away and it's destroyed. And we have to make sense of, okay, how do we offer our praise back to God without this very tangible thing? And actually, in the early church, well, the, the, the medieval church, I suppose, the Benedictine tradition would always read this psalm at daybreak on Friday. Mm. Because they said, well, it's not quite the Sabbath in the same way that our ancestors believed. But this is the morning, this is the day that Jesus performed the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. So just as our ancestors would pray this over the morning sacrifice on the Sabbath, this really is our ultimate sacrifice. And so as we begin every Friday, we pray this. Because we don't have that kind of liturgy. We don't have a God that we can see in his fullness, but we know he's there. We know what he's done. Right. We've experienced it. We see the sunrise. We see the, the the dawn, and we see the way that the sun moves through the sky into the night. We know who God is. We know he is there. And so over the course of time, this psalm has sort of evolved in its usage, but it always is rooted back to, okay, how do we adequately give praise to God even when we can't see him fully? I think that's what that's and and it, it's about a tree too. The other common theme of these readings is that there's, they all have trees in them. Well, and I mean, this is the thing: is it's trees, but what when it says they shall bear fruit even in old age, even in old age, which is the, which yeah. is the, the the first psalm is Sirach. It's it's yes. hey, let's listen to Grandpa. Grandpa's been through let's a lot of Grandpa. stuff. Yeah. Like he, he's he is wise and priestly, and he actually has a real yeah. sense, even if it's not fully ordered. The the it actually. You know, like we're we're bearing fruit. What an interesting icon that then Sirach becomes. Right. Huh. I, I it, like that. Is it he's bearing <clears throat> fruit even in old age and vigorous and sturdy shall he be, declaring how just is the Lord my rock in whom there is no wrong. That like yeah. I, I look and And how do we trust him? Because he's seen it. He's lived through the tribulation. He's seen the good and he's seen the bad. And this tree is strong. And so the tribulation actually showed who he is. Right. There's a gift of age. And having experienced all these things and be able to look back and say, oh, that's where God was. I mean, that's that's what the Psalms as a Psalter are all doing. Right. It's saying, man, we've experienced all this stuff. Look at what Israel has endured. Let's look back right. and see where we've come from and see how the Lord has been faithful through all of it. So in a certain sense, Sirach embodies this kind of old grandpa and the Psalms themselves embody, the Psalter itself embodies this, this old, sturdy tree that's still bearing fruit in old age. That's what salvation history does. So in a certain sense, then maybe take it a step further. All of salvation history is the giant sturdy tree that is meant to still bear fruit mm. because it is born witness to what happened right. and how God has been there from the beginning. Right. And, 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 and it's a fruit, fruit begets fruit. It's almost like we are the fruit of this tree. I mean, we, we, we literally are... because the seeds of a fruit will actually be what bears. Right. The next and, fruit but, but it's born out in a, like, in the sense of how much you have allowed these this wisdom to take root with inside of you will bear fruit in the speech that you say. Are these ideas, yeah. is this person, is this actually what matters? Or 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 is there something else? I mean, and like that's that's where we are always listening to each other and why I'm honored that What did you say? Huh? Sorry, that was a joke. Huh? We're always listening. I know. We're all. I, I thought it was Come funny. I was going to go with you. No. Yeah, it was. It was funny. I just didn't laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Your speech has revealed who you are. It has revealed a lot of what I am. <laughs> so, which gets, I think, actually gets us really coolly into Corinthians. All right, you're going to have to help me here because I don't see it. Yeah, because okay, what happens <clears> is that <throat> we're talking about 
when, when brothers and sisters, when this which is corrupt, corruptible, close itself with incorruptibility, and this which is mortal, close itself with immortality. Namely, so, us. Right? So, no, yes, namely us. But I'm going to go deeper for okay. a second, because what are we talking about? We're talking about wisdom. Yeah. Okay. Yes, the potter can sit at his wheel and make stuff, or the potter can sit at his wheel and make stuff and look and see how it reveals the glory of God. Okay. So when that which is, which is corruptible, what every good artist does. Their art is not about the art itself; it's about what the art reveals, right? Right. I'm no artist, but I know that much. But a a good artist says, "Okay, this is kind of the philosophy behind it." Mm. A great artist is saying this sits within the realm of a uh, salvation history, this yeah. deep tree that is rooted, that's actually meant to bear fruit. And I want to manifest that in a real way. So mm. I'm looking and saying, how does this work in front of me manifest the truth of what it means to be a human? So that which is corruptible, close itself with incorruptibility. So okay. it's a natural thing taking on this significance, this yeah. small s sacramental meaning. Okay. And that which is mortal closes itself with immortality. Then the world that is written shall come about. Death was swallowed up in victory. So what? what we're which is s- a quote from Isaiah, incidentally. Eyes, dude. Metropolitan eyes, eyes. dude. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, man. And then where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the <clears throat> law. See, what happens is that we, we can... We can start to say, okay, let's go to law. What is law? It's this exactitude in words that you exchange rather than getting to the spirit of what's actually being manifested. You know what I'm saying? I think so. What does a lawyer do? A lawyer says, you. A lawyer can trip you up in your words, trying to get you to reveal exactly who you are with exactitude in words. Yes, right. Have you ever gotten in a fight with somebody to where you're just going exactitude to words with them? It's the worst. It's the worst versus saying like, gosh, you know what? This is what's behind what was actually going on. Right. When you actually go into the place behind it and you say, okay, here's the... Which is a very hard thing to do. It's a very hard thing, but it's one of those things that in it, you actually can touch a greater world of intimacy, of love, of transcendence, and like, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Christ our Lord. Because in those moments, then we can let go of law and say, you know what, this is like, I just have to get into this exact place with you, and you did this, and I did that, and then blah, 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 blah. Versus saying like, you know what, I'm going to go behind this, and I'm going to actually let my spirit become corrected inside of myself in relationship to God and manifest that outside of myself. So let me take this... Maybe a step that's too far. Good. No, I don't think it's too far. Because you, you got the speech. You, you, you pegged down where this fits in the schema of these words. What are words worth, right? Right. But we're missing the tree. And I think the place oh. where the tree comes in is in light of all of this. What Paul has taught, and we've talked about this on the podcast the last couple of weeks. We've been in First Corinthians for a while. First Corinthians 15. And First Corinthians 15, remember, is Paul's... Um, defense of the resurrection to a group of people that are, are Greek formed as well. I mean, actually, it's, it's fascinating. The, the whole context of Corinthians is much more explicitly Paul saying, hey, you guys, the Corinth, the city of Corinth, remember we've talked about Corinth a lot. The culture of Corinth was basically always playing second fiddle to Athens. Absolutely. Their neighbor up the this, road. All this, they wanted to be like smart like Athens. Right. They wanted to have wisdom. They wanted to have rhetoric. They wanted to have speech and knowledge. And those four concepts are what Paul is going to rip apart throughout all of 1 Corinthians. Real wisdom, real speech, real knowledge. I said four, but that's only three. Whatever. <laughs> wisdom, speech, and knowledge. He says, you think you have it or you want some version of it, but it's not real. Real wisdom 
lies in Christ crucified. Real speech is the word of God made flesh, all these things. So in his final stroke here in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's arguing why the resurrection was necessary, despite the fact that for a people who are ingrained in a sort of pseudo-Gnosticism, who don't like material things, who want to transcend, why he says, no, the material is so crucially important. It's because the resurrection shows us Christ, who is what? Buried in the ground. Who does what? Because he is buried, he will bear fruit and rise oh. up out of the ground as what? A tree, so to speak. Um, death and, and is swallowed up in victory. Death is swallowed up. That's how it's swallowed up, because a tree becomes strong and sturdy and knocks it down, and the roots become so all-encompassing there's no room for death anymore. And it's, it's not coincidental, I think, that he quotes Isaiah, which is where we get the roots of this whole idea of the stump and the, the root of Jesse coming out of the stump of this tree that was cut down. And it seemed like all was lost, but the shoot, the shoot broke forth and mm. would grow into a much greater tree. Right. So I think the tree actually fits here as well. It takes a little bit more work to find it. But I think the fact that he's talking about the resurrection actually makes it all come together. Again, maybe that's a step, maybe that's, that's reading in too much to it. But, you know, Sirach did talk about true speech is only revealed in tribulation. Right. The word of God was only fully revealed to us in his tribulation. Yes. Which was what? Being hung on a tree and then buried in a garden and then coming up again out of the garden. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I don't mean to, to be overly symbolic here, but there's a lot of things going on here. Yeah. I think are kind of cool. Yeah. I, no, I mean, to be... Uh, well, that's what it means is to take these ideas and to uh, let them go from a mortal nature into an immortal nature, yeah. from a corruptible to an incorruptible, yeah, exactly. is you say, I- I'm going to look and I'm going to say, oh, th- everything that is made from God points towards God. Right. And yeah, right. this resurrection, we don't need to get all crazy fancy. We can actually just look at this and 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 and, and, and understand it. Which is sort of one of the backdrops of Sirach in saying wisdom can be found not just in Torah, but in creation, which is simply let's look at how things are. And the simple revealing of how things are can reveal God to us because he's the author of reality, which is what you're saying. Right. And that, that's why I, I always encourage people, you can be naturally contemplative, man. I've been watching yeah. Blue Planet 2. <laughs> there's a second one? Yeah, there's a second one. Oh, I'm one. thinking of the planet Earth. I don't Pla- know Blue, it, planet. It's, it, Blue Planet is just oceans. Oh, hence the blue. Yeah, I've been aquarium. You know what I'm saying? Aquarium, it's the, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, the yeah. it's the marine life, and and man, I've just been loving it. It's so contemplative, and just awesome. wild to see how these things are. Which actually leads me into the the gospel. Leads us into the gospel. Okay. Leads you into the gospel. Leads them into the gospel. As a blind person, leading other what, blind. What do you know? I I look at this and I'm like, can a blind person lead a blind? And I'm like, kind of. <sighs> I've seen it happen before. It's very, it's very odd. But can I just point out before you launch in that this is coming at the very end of Jesus's sermon on the plane? Oh, okay. so in a certain sense, this is sort of like this is how he wraps it up, which I think is, I think is uh, significant. I just keep uh, the reason why I think that this is it, it fits in and why it's important is that can. If you have not taken to time, as we read at the end of Corinthians, to, to be fully devoted to the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord, you're, uh, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. If we haven't taken the spirit of trying to live wisdom, to go as wisdom as we read in the beginning, we're not going to have anything to give. 
Yeah. Like, like it's actually important to Mm -hmm. say, you know, can the blind lead the line? Because I can lead somebody if I can see just one step ahead. And that's normally about what the Lord gives. Right. Is, yeah, that's true. Is uh, uh, there's another line in in mm. uh, Sirach that says the um, it was in the office readings this morning, and it said uh, something like um, the those... office readings this morning on Sirach. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, and the daily mass readings. Really? How can yeah? We've been like deep in Sirach, which deep. is super cool. Yeah. But it says the the man who tries to store up wisdom is like the man who tries to store up treasure. Oh. It's like, no, no, you you just get wisdom. You get a little bit and you give it. It's like, oh, I have an insight. I'm going to say it. Like this wisdom is not the same as knowledge. It's not just an acquisition that you can put a bunch of books on yourself and say, now I'm wise. Right. It's not quantitative. No, it's in the spirit. It's in the moment to say, I have an insight right now and I will share In this particular circumstance to discern how to deal with this circumstance now. Yeah, that's. That's key. That's everything right there. Right. That's why. That's wisdom. Right. Because and we should have probably addressed this at the very beginning. The the total misunderstanding that we have about what wisdom is, Mm. which is God's gift of discernment within a particular circumstance in a particular moment. Right. Yeah. That's a really important point. Yeah. So he says blind person got a blind person. No, they're going to fall. A a disciple is. Into a pit nonetheless. Yeah, dude. Which is. It's a tough break. In the pit. <laughs> like mosh pit, dude. I'm, I'm with you. Blind guys in a mosh pit. That sounds That sounds like a uh, a death metal band. Blind guys in a mosh pit? <laughs> yeah, it does. Or at least a, an album title. Or at least an album title. Yep. Dibs. Okay. So no disciple is superior to the teacher, but when fully trained, every disciple be like his teacher. Why? Hold on, this 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 merits a really important note because there's a yeah. tradition in the wisdom tradition in the wisdom literature. Who is the teacher? No disciple is superior to the teacher. Who's the teacher? God the Father. Wisdom is, is the, the teacher. teacher. You mm. can't surpass what you're trying to learn. Right. And of course, throughout the book of Sirach, especially in the second half, wisdom becomes then personified as mm. a person. And then the early church said, oh my gosh, wisdom personified in the wisdom literature then actually became a person. He became the word. word made flesh. Who ma- it was made flesh. So this Jesus who is now our perfect teacher, he, wisdom who has always been leading us now took flesh. Right. And you cannot be superior both to Jesus, but also to wisdom, which is who the, the, the pedagogue is. Does that make sense? It, yeah. it seems like an important point. Which and then we get into the beam and the splinter and the eye and the yeah. the whole thing. You got to take that out. You you can't. You know you got to deal with what's actually inside of you first. You have to deal with reality. Right. That's what we were saying before. Right. Look at what is. And right. Then discern how to act. Right. But taking the the splinter out of your your brother's eye without seeing the log in your own is simply to to not see reality. Right. Which is what wisdom is. Right. It's seeing the world as God sees it, which is reality. Which is, like you said, really, really hard to do. That's why it's a skill to see what is. Right. A good tree does not bear rotten fruit, nor does a rotten tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. Mm. For people do not pick figs from thorn bushes, nor do they gather grapes from brambles. Um, so we, we go again to this this idea. like Back to trees. Back to trees and fruit. And what is a good fruit and what is a bad fruit? Yeah. Um, which is like such a deep question. Mm. And it leads you into uh, uh, moments of contemplation, mm. um, but it's hard to take it seriously because we've heard this so much. Right. I yeah, I right. I actually struggle to pull to even say like, what is my beam? What am What am obscuring my ability? Oh, my to beam. Actually, I think my, it's beam. my being. My beam. Yeah. Right. What Where am beam? I bearing yeah. bad fruit? There yeah. is bad fruit in my life. Right. 
And what is this coming from? It's come from an ill root. And where am I bearing good fruit in my life? It's hard to be honest about the good fruit. It's just as hard to be honest about the bad fruit. That's true. We'd rather be numb to everything and just uh, keep going and 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 be filled with compunction. Which is the opposite of wisdom because it means I refuse to see what is. Right. I will close my eyes to it because it's too difficult. Right. And so I'd mm. rather be filled with the anxiety for this vague sense of guilt. Compunction. Than, <laughs> compunction. <laughs> then, wait, I did not think we were going to come back to compunction. Nobody did, but you did. You, I, did you pulled it off, man. Then, then to actually look at what is good fruit, what is bad fruit, yes. and to actually do the work of saying, yes. okay, I'm going to remove what obscures me from encountering what is real. And that's why we take yes. counsel, though. Yeah. Like, because yeah. that's the whole gift of counsel is we say, Am I seeing what's real? Mm. And uh, and it's hard because sometimes counsel can actually help you see what's real, but sometimes when we take counsel, we don't actually help each other see what's real. And that's actually that that's hard, that's, that's that's hard. A, that's a hard thing because we're we're so entwined in other and in each other's lives, which also takes wisdom to see, right? To recognize, oh, actually, that's bad advice. Yes, it takes a great deal of wisdom. For from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. From the a good, fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of the store of goodness <clears throat> in his heart produces good, but an evil person out of a store of evil produces evil. For out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks, which is, leads us right back around into the, the, what we're talking about in the first thing. It's like this yeah. manifestation of the word. Yeah. Uh, I, yes, absolutely. Um, the two things I just have to add, and then I'm done. Did it, dig it. Two things I have to add, and I don't want to go into this because it's too much. But Jesus is setting something up here. So we're in chapter 6 of the Gospel of Luke. A little bit later on, actually quite a bit later, he's going to, Luke doesn't have it, but Mark has the, the cursing of the fig tree about this tree that looks like it's supposed to bear fruit, but it is not bearing fruit. It's being a hypocritical tree. And he'll later compare that tree, not just to the temple, but to Jerusalem and the people of Israel themselves. We have become like the fig tree that's acting like it's bearing good fruit. We're putting on a good show, right. but it's not actually bearing good fruit. Right. And he says, because of this, this temple will have to pass away. Right. The city will have to be destroyed to make way for an even greater temple, which in a certain sense is saying to make way for a greater tree. Because throughout the Old Testament, Israel is always compared to a tree or a vine. And so he's kind of setting us up to be like, yeah, don't get too big headed though, because eventually even the people of God have the capacity to become the tree that bears bad fruit, right. to stop seeing reality, to see a false kind of wisdom. Right. And the tribulation that will come because of that false wisdom will bear out what is true and what is real. And, and this is where Tertullian gets his famous line, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. The tribulation that will come after that point where people will have to call to account for the fruit that they have borne in their lives that is where the martyrs and the, the foundation of the church will eventually come from. So there's a much bigger narrative that this is subtly preparing his followers for. Right. I think so. I, but more we could say on that. But the last thing I want to say, um, as far as that last line of the gospel, from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, and you you read that very profoundly and you, you put a nice cap on it. But it's one of those lines that I, I it's one of those lines you can read and that line doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, it does, but at first glance, from the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. I don't know what that means because the heart, what is the heart? And I, I think part, I, I do know what it means, but I want to unpack it just for a second because when I first glance at that, it sounds to me like something over emotional, 
or emotionalized, you know, something like, well, what is my heart? Oh, it's where my emotions are and all that stuff. You know, you know where I'm going with this. Well, I mean, look a little bit. I mean, because when I conceive of the heart, I think of the place that actually where the mind and the will meet. And I don't. But I think think you're unique in that. I don't think most people hear that and hear those that concept. Okay, I I really don't. And I I mean, I've studied enough to know that the Jewish understanding is exactly what you said. So when I think when most of us hear the heart, it's this sort of amorphous emotional place, right? right? That That's kind of hard to, you know, we use the heart for everything. That person who was mean to, you know, the kids on their lawn is heartless or, you know, oh, come on, have a heart, man, you know, give whatever, you know. Right. We use it all the time. We use it for sappy English poetry. We use it on the Hallmark channel. I think the, I think sappy English poetry and the Hallmark movie channel have ruined the concept of the heart for us because it's made it so confused and over-emotionalized and like, well, what does that mean? That's interesting, yeah. And what you're saying is exactly right, and the catechism actually has a brilliant paragraph on what the heart is in the Semitic sense. It's in the, I can't remember the paragraph off the top of my head. It's the very beginning of the fourth pillar of the catechism on prayer. And it says in the, in the Jewish sense, the heart is the meeting place where I come face to face with God. It's the place of decision. It's the place of the will. It's like our internal temple where we meet with God face to face and we decide what will I do? How will I discern? Which again, that makes all of this make sense to me, but I don't think that's how most of us hear the term heart, right? which has become just kind of this abstract over-emotionalized concept. But for the Jewish people hearing this, from the fullness of our will, the place where I meet with God and I discern what is real and I ask for the grace to choose rightly, that's where the mouth speaks. That's what I want my words to convey. Right. My will making the choice to see reality for what it is, yes. to actually have wisdom. But I think we, one of the curse, one of the, the worst things that has happened in Christianity is a loss of the true sense of what our heart is. Because the heart is the dwelling place of God inside of us from our baptisms. Well, I want to go even further because Sirach says, so too does one's speech disclose the bent of one's mind. Yes. So what happens is oftentimes we actually just live there in in kind of contemporary Catholic orthodoxy. Intellectualism. Intellectualism is just, it's just about having the right idea. Yes. But, 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 but Jesus is saying, the the word is saying to us, no, it's actually about the fullness of one's heart, which is both the mind, the will, and the conscience. Because conscience is what JP2 would say is where we actually are in contact with God. Which, if we allow ourselves, this is why we keep ourselves um, pure, is so that what what we um, we can like we have we don't have an obscured conscience, yeah. because if if we're living out of an obscured conscience, it becomes very difficult to actually speak what's really what we believe in our minds, what we've chosen in our wills, because yeah, and, and and how God is influencing and willing that. Because yeah. if if our if our conscience is obscured. Yes. What happens is that we have a hard time accessing wisdom. Absolutely, That's we have yep. to, to go to the spirit because because we we can go to knowledge, yes. we can go to emotion, but we can't actually our will access. Is clouded, right? Yes, and 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 so so what yes, we're exactly really it. attempting to do is say, I want to be in touch with the spirit as God has promised, and I want to be able to relate out of that. Yes. And that's that's our deepest desire. I mean, that's like what I desire for this podcast to be as rich like that. And it's God's desire for us. Right. To actually live in that kind of a freedom, which is really a freedom. Right. And that's what I desire my daily life is I get to sit down. I've got like eight appointments this afternoon or yeah. something. And I desire each one of those to be able to manifest truly with yeah. 
with the spirit and the richness in that in, in cha- exchange. And in, in, and like sometimes we have time when we, you come up and you say, Hey, everybody, we like listening to the podcast. And we're like, I want to get to the spirit with you. Oftentimes yeah. we don't have a lot of time to be able to do that. But right. if I, if I could, man, I would do it with all of you. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's what the life of, of grace in heaven will be. So, hmm. If we don't get to meet you in this life as you listen to this podcast, we get to meet you in the next, and we're going to totally dig how the Spirit is manifested in between us, even over this weird recording device. We will dig it. This has been a very philosophical podcast. woo Which is all right. I need to give a disclaimer from our lawyers. Before you all send off your angry emails at me, I do very much, maybe inordinately, enjoy watching the Hallmark movie channel at Christmas time. <laughs> we watch a lot of Hallmark movies. So before the Hallmark movie channel sues us or whatever, or you all send oh angry emails because everybody loves the Hallmark channel. I watch it at Christmas probably too much. So that is my disclaimer on that happy note. We love you. Goodbye. We out. <laughs>